This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me is a man that swears that fairies wear boots. He's seen it, he's seen it, he will tell us no lie. A man that only speaketh the truth. He's the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen and it's good to see you. This week we are drinking, well, I've got to be honest, just like the captain, I speak of the truth. Mm-hmm. I wanted to try something new. England has got so many great beer companies that I've heard of, and I was hoping to do so this week, but guess what? Mm-hmm. Somebody put an ocean between me and England, so it makes it tough to try some of their more crafty, harder-to-get-your-hands-on beers. I wanted to try Old Chimney's Good King Henry, Cloudwater, there's a beer called Magic Rock that sounded fantastic. Uh-huh. And I think that there's a brewery called Siren that has paired up with some of our great breweries here in the States, like Evil Twin and Cigar City. But tonight, in the spirit of Halloween, we are drinking Jack O Traveler Pumpkin Shandy. Jacko is a yam beer. You know why? Because you're always sitting around thinking about how great beer and yams go together, right? Mm-hmm. Garage grade, let's go four out of five bottle caps. That's right. The yams have it. And Jacko is brought to us by some of our wonderful True Crime Garage Army friends. But more specifically, we have Mary in Akron, Ohio. She's a new listener. We have Sarah in Brooklyn. She's an old listener. I'm guessing that she's not old, but just a long time listener because mm-hmm. we've We've only been around for like a year, so you can be a long-time listener without being elderly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Bruce from God Knows Where. Uh, Bruce! Where are you, Bruce? And we have from Karen God Knows from Where. East Sussex, UK. Mm-hmm. And we have Dicella from Lake Villa, Illinois. She wants to get the captain extra special drunk. So, <laughs> Captain, have you ever been extra special drunk? Yeah, it happens on a, on a regular basis. Mm, well, all right, you do that on your own time because we got a jam-packed show tonight. 
And thanks to everybody that donated. You can do so by going to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate banner. We like your jib. And while you're at truecrimegarage.com, click on the store page because guess what? We got some merch, right, Cap? Yeah, we got some new shirts. We like to do a different design every time, so we don't like to repeat the designs. So that's what kind of makes it fun. So there's some people that will have all the designs. And you can't have all the designs unless you start buying now. All right, that's enough of the business. That's right. Gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer, and let's talk some true crime. year is 1964, and in the United States of America, President Lyndon B. Johnson declares war on poverty. The Warren Commission reports their findings, stating that Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone gunman. Cassius Clay defeats Sonny Liston to become the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 is signed. Dr. Martin Luther King wins the Nobel Peace Prize. The first Ford Mustang hits the streets, and amongst the popular films is the unforgettable Mary Poppins. The rock band The Rolling Stones released their debut record, self-titled The Rolling Stones. The Beatles make an appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show and they have 13 singles in the top 100. A little more than 75 years after Jack the Ripper, in the UK, they abolished the death penalty. In the streets of London, there were a string of murders that quickly became known as the London Nude Murders. The suspect became known as Jack the Stripper. And Scotland Yard was about to unleash one of the largest manhunts London would ever see. And unfortunately, there would be victim after victim. How many total? Well, just like Jack the Ripper, the victim count is up for debate. This is True Crime Garage, and this is the case of the London Nude Murders. Okay, almost everybody knows the story or at least has heard of Jack the Ripper. And of course, no one really knows who Jack the Ripper was. Mm -hmm. Uh, But few have heard of the killer that became known as Jack the Stripper. Uh, We're talking about the London nude murders. Well, you might know of the name Jack the Stripper. There's a rock band called Jack the Stripper. And there was also a rock song by Black Sabbath, which was an instrumental tune called Jack the Stripper. And that's why on our intro, when I introduced the captain there, I said fairies wear boots. That's because on the album Paranoid, uh, the they pair those songs together. It's Jack the Stripper slash fairies wear boots, which 
uh, was one of my favorite Black Sabbath songs. So, um, but just like Jack the Stri- I'm sorry, just like Jack Senior, Jack the Ripper, Jack the Stripper too is an unknown serial killer. Jack the Ripper is not just a clever name. Jack named himself in taunting letters to the police and to the public. And some have argued are those from the actual killer and others would suggest that they are simply a hoax Mm -hmm. for some sicko or from someone or someone's wishing to increase newspaper sales. But Jack the Ripper, uh, he didn't just kill, he ripped. He would rip his victims apart, meaning he would cut the victims sometimes a lot, slitting the throat, cutting into the abdomen, uh, and actually removing body parts, you know, uterus, liver, the tip of one's nose, or clipping the ears. Mm -hmm. Now, Jack the Stripper, he did not cut his victims. He strangled them, and he did not rip them or remove any body parts. He left his strangled victims nude or pretty much fully exposed. This, of course, leading to the name of the unknown perpetrator. But the crimes in remain unsolved and it's unsolved murders of seven of London's working girls. Go ahead. So let's go back a little bit. I mean, so the stripper part makes sense, but using Jack, the stripper is just because of the area that these crimes took place in. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, uh, they would also be called the London nude murders as well as the Hammersmith murders. Our story starts in 1964, London, England, Um, now earlier I did say seven victims, but as you will see, when we go through this, that there is some debate regarding the actual number of victims here. Yeah. It seems like the consensus is that there are six confirmed victims and possibly another two, maybe even more. But so when you see this, uh, normally if you're looking up this case, you'll see six confirmed, possibly eight. During the years of 1964 and 1965, six women are found dead in or around the River Thames. The first victim that we're going to talk about is Hannah Tailford. Uh, She was 30 years old at the time of her death. Hannah was excluded from several schools when she was a young girl, uh, as she was pretty disruptive at school. Uh, When she was a teenager, she ran away to the big, big city of London. Uh, It was not long after her arrival that she started getting into more trouble. She was convicted a couple of times of for soliciting. Now, apparently she was quite desperate or just a terrible person because on one occasion she placed a classified ad in a local paper offering to sell her unborn baby to the highest bidder. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has also been reported that Hannah had told some friends she was being paid to participate in b- bizarre orgies hosted by some of the more well-to-do Londoners. She was known to have been offered money to have sex on camera, and it's speculated that she she was in some stag films. Hannah also told a friend she had attended an orgy at the home of a French diplomat named Andre. Now, on one occasion, after having been paid, she was taken by a limousine to a house where a man in a gorilla costume had sex with her while a crowd of rich and wealthy onlookers cheered. Um, now that's, that's uh, definitely strange. Yeah. That's, you know, usually when I throw a party, I turn on a football game and put out some guac and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but no gorilla suit. Uh, well, now, I normally have the gorilla suit, but just not all the other stuff because gorilla suits are fun. We mentioned these things to show what kinds of ties she may have had and what kind of suspect pool the police could have been dealing with because on February 2nd, 1964, 
her, the body of 30-year-old Hannah Tailford was found by rowers on the Thames shore near Hammersmith Bridge. Mm-hmm. She was naked except for a pair of stockings, and she had been strangled. Several of her teeth were missing, and her underwear had been stuffed in her mouth. During the investigation, police interviewed hundreds of people who they knew to have had dealings with prostitutes, including an international soccer player and several members of the clergy. Two months later, this was April 8th, Irene Lockwood, who was only 26 years of age, was found a few hundred yards upstream in the River Thames. Now, so that she's found very close to the first victim that we just discussed, Hannah Tailford. They were able to determine that Irene had been in the water for less than 48 hours. And like Hannah, she had been strangled with a ligature, possibly a piece of her own clothing. She had been stripped before being placed in the water. Like Hannah, the police had some strange leads to follow. Things she may have known or things that she may have done could have played a big part in her murder. Only about a year before the young woman was found dead, one of her friends had been found beaten to death. Mm-hmm. This is Vicki Pender, and her body was found in her North London flat. Vicki had tried to blackmail some of her clients over photos she had taken of them. And I guess Irene Lockwood had some of her own tricks. Irene would take clients to a flat, and she would insist that the man remove his pants and then leave them outside of the room before entering to have sex. When he would go into the room, someone would go through the man's pockets and steal any money or valuables that were found. Another trick that she did, this was very much like that from the Seinfeld episode where George met a woman and then they went to a hotel room and she handcuffed him to the bed and Mm -hmm. robbed him. Well, Irene, she would uh, agree to go to a private room with a man and she would tie him up and then she would rob him, sometimes taking his clothes. Police suspected that these two murders may have been connected to two previous murders. These are the deaths of Elizabeth Fig, also known as Ann Phillips. Elizabeth's body was found in the early morning hours by officers on their regular beat on June 17, 1959. She was kind of sitting up. She was like slumped against a tree and her dress was torn open, exposing her body as well as you know, easily visible scratches around her throat. Right. She had been strangled. I guess her boyfriend in the beginning was she, he was a suspect early on. Her boyfriend was a boxer and was Elizabeth's pimp as well. He was known to have slapped Elizabeth around, but for some reason he was ruled out fairly quickly into the investigation. The other murder that was that of 22 year old Gwyneth Reese. Reese was found about a mile from Elizabeth's body on the riverbank. Now, Gwyneth's body was found November 8, 1963. But the weird thing here, she was last seen almost six months before. So she's last seen getting... So she was missing for roughly six months. Yeah. she. I'm sorry, six weeks before. Oh, okay. I apologize. But yeah, no one had seen her in six weeks, and then she turns up on the That's shore That's still of the a long river. time. I mean, six months would be obviously a lot longer, but six weeks for nobody to see you... Um, Again, as far as this profession goes, um, you're working mostly at night. So I I would assume that there'd be weeks at a time where uh, that your normal crowd of people would not see you. Exactly. And this is only when she's reported to have been last seen. Who knows? Um, Mm -hmm. But she's last seen getting into a car with a man. Uh, This is way back in September 
of that year. Uh, this is at the end of September of 63. Police suspected strangulation to be the cause of her death, but this was never 100% determined to be the cause of death. Mm-hmm. And this is why it should be one of the one of the victims that they don't confirm as one of the victims at uh, of Jack the Stripper. Yeah, Elizabeth Elizabeth Fig uh, murdered in 1959, and Gwyneth Reese murdered in 1963. Some debate that they are part of Jack the Stripper's case, and well, it others seems say very that similar. They for do one, seem very similar. And then it looks to me, with all these cases so far, it looks girls that have uh, some sort of desperation, mm-hmm. and then it seems like a, a either one man or a group of males that have power, that have money. And uh, like to also humil- humiliate, not just uh, have sex with, but to do almost like I'm rich and I'm powerful. Let me take this to the extreme. Or just I'm in control of this situation. Right. Uh, so Gwyneth Reese, just like the other girls, uh, again, it wasn't 100% determined that she was strangled, but strangulation was suspected. Uh, she was found naked and she was missing some teeth. Like in Elizabeth's case, Gwyneth's pimp, now he is not be- not believed to have been her actual boyfriend, uh, but her pimp was suspected. This is Cornelius Whitehead, and he was a violent criminal with gangster ties. Right. He was suspected of being violent with women as well. We and, don't know. And sometimes you'd see this as a way to teach the other women that are working for him, like don't get out of line. Right. He's He's running his little, you know, criminal business and this is how criminals behave. Well, yeah, and you're messing it up. So you mess up, uh, you'll end up dead. And this is a warning to all the other girls that that instills fear and then they, they're never going to leave. I couldn't find any record of him actually having been violent with her, with Gwyneth. Um, but we do know that she did say uh, that she intended to leave him. I'm guessing, you know, not work for uh, Cornelius Whitehead anymore. Uh, but shortly, this happened just shortly before she disappeared. And he was reportedly looking for her uh, after she had disappeared. Mm-hmm. Another possible well, lead. He's looking for his paycheck. Well, an, another possible lead here, too, was the abortion angle. Abortions were still illegal in the UK at this time, but much like we had discussed in the Black Dahlia case, you could find someone, an, an illegal abortionist, Mm-hmm. Uh, to carry out these things. And Gwyneth had already had, she already had two children. Neither were living with her and relying on her for care at the time, which is probably a, a very good thing. Surprise, surprise. And, uh, but she had some illegal procedures before. The summer before her disappearance, Gwyneth had become pe- pregnant. And after her mm-hmm. disappearance, some other prostitutes had said that she had been looking to contact an illegal abortionist. Well, and also at this time, it's 1964, birth control is probably a lot harder to get and probably more expensive. And I don't know what forms, exactly what forms they would have had, so it's probably limited as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, But right now, Captain, what we're seeing here is a couple things. Okay, so we got two cases that the police are saying are very much connected. We have two that they suspect could be part of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... What we can see by the lifestyles that these four women have led and the people that they have known and furthermore, things that they had done to other people. I mean, a couple of these girls had, you know, robbed people and, uh, you know, done a couple things to humiliate their customers or blackmail people. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're already starting to see too many suspects. 
you know, we have four dead women all working the streets of London, and we can immediately see an issue with the investigation of each of these cases. Yeah, but when you overstep your boundaries, I mean, when these uh, clients are paying for kind of obscene, almost degrading types of actions, Mm -hmm. you know, it's you know, it's one thing to go have sex in a room. It's another thing to go, hey, well, this guy's going to put on a monkey suit and we're going to have um, a, a crowd cheering it on. Now, look, if you're into that thing, that's that's on you. But I could see um, being treated like this, being treated even less than that you expect to be treated, that, hey, I'm going to pay you back. Mm-hmm. You know, like y- you think you got one on, over on me. Well, I've been stealing stuff from you or taking pictures that I shouldn't have been taking, and uh, I'm going to get mine. Yeah, and the the first off, the obvious is the high risk lifestyle of the profession, and you know that leads to this large suspect pool. And we're not talking about just an investigation into the deaths of all four of these women, whether they're connected or not we could be talking about them even in an individual case. Mm-hmm. We could have a large suspect pool. Now, victim similarities, there are a bunch of similarities here so far. All four women were five foot two or less, so they're shorter women. Mm-hmm. All four had suffered an STD. Several of them had several missing teeth. Now, that may not be part of the actual crime. This right, could, this just, could be, just be the, the part of the lifestyle. Yeah, which is totally just simply point out how poor they were or unable to afford certain products or personal hygiene products. Well, and this is also the time where they want to they wouldn't do implants or do crowns and stuff like that. They would just yank the tooth. Mm-hmm. And three of the four women were pregnant, and at least two of the pregnant women were trying to cancel the pregnancy. Irene had been taking pills to achieve this, and she believed that they were working because she said that the the pills had made her tummy move. Oh, that's horrible. So police were pretty convinced that they are dealing with the work of one killer who has gone out on four separate occasions and murdered a woman and stripping and dumping the bodies in or around the river. Mm -hmm. Keep one thing in mind, though, here. Uh, He may have been forcing the women to strip before strangling them, or he could have been stripping them of their clothing afterward. Now, police would suspect that he's stripping them afterwards because... Yeah, some post-mortem. They, they are familiar with the prostitutes in the area, and they say that the working girls in the area are mostly using vehicles to spend their time with the Johns, and most of them would not strip at all, or they would not need to strip all the way for, for the act. Right. Uh, they were... Hike up the skirt. Yeah, yeah, they, you know, they could just remove whatever necessary clothing they could, or or lift something up, or pull something down. Oh, by the way, if uh, your kids should not be listening to this uh, episode, so if your kids are listening to this episode, please turn it off or let the state take your children. <laughs> Anyways, but one thing they have figured out, and one thing that they suspect is that they don't seem to see this killer as some kind of crazy maniac. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't seem to be out of control. Uh, there are not really any known sightings of the killer having been with the women right before their death or the last time that they are seen, but the killer seems to be in control of himself. Do you think it's uh, the manner in which they're found? Do you think it's almost like planned if we do, if if the body is found like this, A, B, C, and D, that the police will assume that it's a madman? I think that it would show, I think what they're talking about here is that each victim seems to show almost identical 
an identical form of attack mm-hmm. um, where he is not, you know, it's not a, it's not a stabbing one, one time. It's not right, a right. strangulation one time. Somebody's not beat to death. It's, it's seems to be the same attack over and over again where he's really, he's really just, it's an ends to a means almost like, you know, or means to an end. I'm sorry, where he, it's just part of what he's doing. Right. So this is how I kill somebody. I, I follow this plan and he's getting better at the plan as he goes along. And what they mean by this too, is that he would be very messy if he were a maniac, you know, if he, okay. if he was out of control out of his mind, obviously mm-hmm. this guy's a sicko, but if he was not in control of himself, he probably would have been seen disposing of the bodies or seen with the women the last time they were seen. Yeah, I know that, but I'm just saying, I wonder if the person that is committing these crimes going, oh, I'm going to rip up their clothes and do some things, possibly post-mortem, is is that for a motive to throw the cops off for some reason? Yeah, and that's one thing that I had wondered about as well, and a good thing to bring up, you know, was he removing the clothing just to destroy it? You know, just so that there's less evidence or mm-hmm. was it just something that he needed to do? Again, the police wanted to figure out, was he forcing them to strip in advance or was this something he was doing afterwards? And so now we're at four possible victims of the total, uh, the eight possible total victims. Uh, so this is a good time to take a beer. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or 
or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code True Crime Garage 50 at factormeals.com slash True Crime Garage 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Break. And we're back from the beer break. Cheers, my friends. Cheers. Let's talk about some of the additional police efforts involved in the investigation in the London nude murders. So police are going to start strategizing, which is what you have to do, right? You have to figure out how are we going to find this guy? How do we find the criminal? No, duh. We have seen some patterns and some repeated behaviors and tendencies of the person that you are hunting. So what do you do? You're going to try to use those repeated behaviors and tendencies to track him down and apprehend him. Or if you can't track him down, you must lay a trap and try to lure him out of the shadows. Right. And you know, so little where a victim was last seen or who 
was with that person. Right. You know, so it's going to be hard to track this down, this guy down. So, Captain, let's start setting some traps, right? The police hire additional officers. They increase their police force, and the new officers are brought in with one simple purpose. They are to watch and patrol the river. We can't stop him from killing again, but maybe what we can do is we can limit this to only one more victim, right? Well, and they can also deter him from, you know, he's probably patrolling the area himself. And so you start seeing more cops beefing up security, you know, uh, and and then you start thinking, well, is this the best place to, to leave my next victim? Mm-hmm. And it, But if he does continue to do what he does, he should be returning to the river's edge with another body soon. Mm-hmm. And if you're patrolling and watching the river, maybe you can catch him with a body in his arms. Yeah, or... If these girls are, you know, walking the street or maybe they even walk this river, that maybe they'll see somebody leave with one of the, the victims. Mm-hmm. Well, just as much as the police can set their trap in the, tr- in the killer, again, he seems much in control of himself and somewhat in control of this case. They zigged and now the killer is going to zag. He dumps his next victim. He dumps the next body of his fifth victim in an alleyway. This is away from the river. Mm-hmm. April 24th, 1964. This is only about two weeks after the finding of the fourth dead woman, Irene Lockwood. So on April 24th, Helen Bartholomew, she's only 20 years old. Uh, she was found dumped in an alleyway, which is a little younger than the other victims. Mm-hmm. She was nude and signs of strangulation or asphyxiation were present. Helen was a short street worker mm-hmm. who had suffered an STD. Again, we see the same pattern. And she, But again, it's 1964, so there's less um, options for pregnancies and, and, and contra- contraceptives, but there is also probably less health care as far as uh, sexually transmitted diseases go as well. Mm-hmm. And Helen, she was known to have frequented or worked some of the same areas, including some pubs, underground clubs, and drinking dens as some of the other girls. Police find some forensics at this crime scene, though. They find microscopic specks of, a different, of different colored paints on Helen's skin. Analysis of the paint reveals... That it was identical to paint used in an automatic paint spraying. Uh, when they spray paint into cars or onto furniture or any type of metalwork, it's identical to that kind of paint. So police have their first lead, and now they will employ a call to action. This was unusual, especially for the time. Scotland Yard made a public appeal for prostitutes to come forward, and they were promised absolute secrecy. And of course... They were reminded, too, that this was in the prostitute's best interest as they may be the only source of information that the police could have, right? Well, and and they're they're the people that are being targeted. They're also in the most danger of being hunted by this monster. Yeah. Uh, He's not, at this point, he's not hunting anybody that doesn't work in that industry. The police statement saying uh, police are fearful if information is not forthcoming by other prostitutes that other prostitutes will be killed. They were particularly interested in interviewing anyone that had been made to strip and then was assaulted afterwards. Right. Within the first two days, uh, their efforts, they, they see some reward for their efforts. 
They have over 40 female prostitutes come forward and over 20 men came forward to speak with police. So the response was good. They also start logging the plate numbers of cars that they see out after dark. Mm -hmm. They also have female officers walking the streets. They are disguised as prostitutes. Some of them armed with tape recorders, you know, so if they get into a situation, they can, they can record anything that goes down, which is interesting for 1964. And the prostitutes were arming themselves as well. You know, they, they were carrying knives or some kind of weapon when they would go out for the night. And if, if I were a prostitute, I would just arm myself regardless of what's going on. But that's, that's just me. Mm -hmm. Uh, July 14th, the body of Mary Fleming is found in a sitting type position at the entrance of a garage. This is in an area that is now being heavily patrolled by the officers. Mm -hmm. This seems like something he would have only done as a necessity to me. Or he's trying to taunt the police, which they, they believe that at the time that, you know, we're, we're watching this area and he just puts one in our backyard. But they, well, yeah, I believe that too, because like, like we were talking about, they beef up security on the river. So now the guy's gone, well, I can't dump him here. So then he dumps in the alleyway. That's fine. But he, he, chances are he has this body. It's in the car. He goes down to the river and he sees patrolmen. And he's like, oh, shit. Takes her in the car, drives somewhere else, dumps her there. Now he's on the lookout for more security. And as he sees more police officers b- patrolling the area, and I'm sure he has some knowledge of what's going on because he's hearing from other prostitutes. He's probably hearing from other Johns. He's, he's hearing from all these people what's going on. And he's listening to the news. Yeah, and the news is, is the big thing at the time. And so now, yeah, it's, it's, it's a total move of, I'm going to put it right in your back pocket, mm-hmm. and you can't stop me. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a taunt. But the police, they will get lucky again here because Mary's body contained the same paint evidence that was discovered uh, earlier. You know, this, this so, paint evidence is on her body. Yeah, is the, but now are we assuming, like you said, this is some kind of spray paint, which um, so maybe automobile worker mm-hmm. or furniture worker or, or something of that nature. So we think it's a, a laborer. Yeah, and this is pretty much confirming their sus- suspicions that they got what they believe to being, you know, they were believing all along that these cases or most of them are in fact linked. Right. Yeah, I, I don't like the fact that they dismissed the two, but uh, we'll, we'll continue down the path. Now, on October 23rd, 1964, two prostitutes had been working together for their own safety. They were going on these things together. Uh, they were approached by two cars, each with a driver. Uh, this is where the two of them split up, each of them going in one of the vehicles. Uh-huh. Kim Taylor reported to the police that her friend Francis Brown got into either a Ford Zephyr or Zodiac, and she had not been seen since. She had not seen her friend since she got in that car. Weird coincidence with the Zodiac. but so. But now here's what we're starting to see. We're starting to see things loosen up and work more towards the police fav- favor because yeah. we've already said, hey, we've made this call out to the people working the streets and said, you know, you're sworn to secrecy. We'll keep your information. Right, right. We're, we're, you're not going to get in any trouble by coming forward. This is the only way that they have a chance at catching this guy. Well, and, and then the obvious chance is him just completely messing up. But mm-hmm. this guy seems like somebody that's in control. So now they have the paint evidence, and now they believe they have what could be a description of a vehicle. 
the body of Frances Brown. She was the girl that went with the with the other car in the Ford Zephyr or Zodiac. Now you said there was a driver, so there's a driver of each car. Correct. Like I just wanted I wanted it to be clear that it wasn't two guys pulling up in one car. It was uh, two, okay, so two not, separate vehicles right. pulled up to talk not to like both pro- of the girls. Not like a professional driver. Correct. Just, it wasn't like a limo. One person, or, right. There's one person in the car. Okay. Exactly. The body of Frances Brown, the girl that went in the car in the, the Ford Zephyr or Zodiac, uh, she was found one month later on November 25th. Uh, she is found on a side street. Again, a vi- this victim is a short prostitute, an STD carrier, and paint spots are again found on her body. Now, Taylor, her friend, Kim Taylor, tries to provide a description of the man to police. They use what's called an identikit uh-huh. uh, to put together a description of a round-faced man of medium height and a sturdy build. Um, this description doesn't provide them anything other than they're able to release this general description to the public. Yeah, they don't do a composite sketch at this time. No, this the I think the way that the identikit works is that they show you like a shape of some eyes and right. they say, does this look like his eyes? And you say, yes, yes, uh, you know, yes or no. And then they put those down. Then they show you a shape of a nose and you go through there. And then at the end, they put them all together and this is what your guy looks like or somewhat. Well, the sketch of this guy if you've seen it or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the probably the most popular sketch of Jack the Stripper, it, he kind of looks like uh, like a little more handsome version of, of the Goonies. Of uh, the the, the yeah. crazy guy from the Goonies. Yeah. Uh, sloth. Okay. Yeah. With a little more hair, too. Yeah, he, has, yeah, he definitely has hair, but that's what I'll post that on Instagram if anybody wants to check it out. Okay, so what do we have on this guy so far? We have a general description of his appearance. Mm-hmm. We have a vehicle, which was the Ford Zephyr or Zodiac. Uh, we can also surmise that he is probably dumping the bodies in the early morning well, hours. Here's the problem with this whole theory, though, is she was gone for a month and a half. Mm-hmm. So this is just the last known sighting. We, right. I mean, she could have actually went missing two weeks after this. But it sounds to me like this Kim Taylor was friends with Francis Brown. If they had already made plans that they're going to go out and work together, together. Yeah, okay. you know, one mm-hmm. would assume that Kim Taylor was probably going to go out and work another night and she yeah. would look for her friend to go out with her. Right. Again. So she would see her before the, the month and a half. Okay. Exactly. And she's come forward. I agree with you. She's come forward to police before mm-hmm. her friend's body's even found. Again, though, let's go back to uh, the thinking that we're on here, right? That that we might be able to figure out that he's probably dumping the bodies in the early morning hours. And this holds a little bit of weight here, Captain, because when Mary Fleming's body was found, right. several of the people that lived in, near, in the nearby area had reported hearing a car reversing down the street just minutes before the body was found. The body was found by a chauffeur driver at about 5 a.m. Yeah, and what's interesting here is, I mean, yeah, it's 2016. Mm-hmm. So so we're not used to this lifestyle. What we're used to is 24 hours a day, everything's open. You can go get Taco Bell at, Taco Bell at what, 12 o'clock on a weekday, sometimes later. Fourth meal. <laughs> Fourth, yeah. And so this is 1964. This is in 1964 and 1965. This is back in the day where once it was dinner time, once the streetlights came on, the, the activities normally died down more. Mm-hmm. Now, this is London, so this is, you know, their version of, like, New York City. 
right. city that never sleeps. But it still was like that. You know, people had to work the next day. People would shut down earlier. So you're looking at a window from like, you know, 9 p.m. to the following day, about 6 a.m., where everything becomes very, very calm. Mm -hmm. And so if you hear a car at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, you're going to remember it. You're going to take notice of this. Yeah, and I hope, you know what, I hope that the the chauffeur driver was fully vetted and figured out whether he had any kind of involvement at all. Um, But that's a whole nother story. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing going on here is they noticed that after this killer heated up, the last few murders that he had committed, they were no longer than three months apart. So by January of 1965, the police were really thinking that we are going to find another body any day now. Well, something may have thrown the killer off of his game because this time it was almost four months. You know, we, we see a little bit of a, a waiting period here. It wasn't until February 16th of 1965 that the naked body of 28-year-old Bridie O'Hare was found behind a storage shed. This is just less than a mile from where they found the last victim, Mary Fleming, had been found. And of course, she is found again with the same paint specks on her. So if you can't find your killer, you need to find where the paint is located or coming from, right? Yeah. They had been searching for the paint location for months. In fact, they had searched over a 24 square mile for the origin of the paint. It was after the discovery of Bridie O'Hare's body that they were able to find a matching paint sample. This was beneath a covered transformer. And they find this very near where Bridie's body was found. So this transformer is near, well, it's opposite a paint spray shop that is located here in Estates. They also figure out that Bridie had been mummified, and this would have taken a heat source to occur. So again, the transformer here, it meets all of this criteria, right? Oh, yeah, it the puts trans- off some heat. Yeah, the transformer would have heated up the body. So someone was keeping Bridie's body there and had done so for some time. And probably the other bodies as well. And they find a paint sample, not this paint. You know, th- this paint could have got there any number of ways, right? Right. But I'm wondering if, if this wasn't simply downwind you know if the transformer was just downwind of the of the paint shop uh where specks or flecks of the paint would would travel and get airborne and i wonder if they just got airborne and traveled a short distance to the transformer and did the killer even know that the paint was on the bodies until he you know until heard it what, yeah. from police yeah and the thing is is this again this is the 60s so we don't have all these ventilation systems and and all these things to catch all these particles with inside a warehouse. So it'd be more likely that, you know, cars parked outside this building would have paint specks on it. Um, people possibly even walking by mm-hmm. would get paint specks on them. So, so we got a couple things to consider here. Are, are the paint specks getting onto the bodies because they're stored near the paint shop and, and it's just getting airborne and carrying down wind on them? Mm. Or is the killer bringing those paint samples to the body? Uh, that, that he's in that paint shop and bringing them there when he visits the body or goes to dump the body. Yeah, or depending on how he paints. I mean, maybe he doesn't use gloves, so he constantly has paint on his hands. Then there would be a transfer process there. So these are considered to be the six 
or eight murders that are involved in this case, depending on who you talk to. Some say that all eight were involved. Some say that three or four were involved. Only the ones with the paint were involved. To me, they just seem very connected. You know, it seems like the motive motive was the same. They're, they're found in similar locations. The strangulation is pretty much the same. And it, if there's any differences between the, the eight, they're very small. And so it's not like, oh, we got two that don't make any sense. And then these other six make complete sense together because the, the, you know, towards the end, they're not being dumped by the river. Now you could say, well, that's because security beefed up. But again, that is something that is different in every uh, victim story. Yeah. And sometimes with these killers, they either get lazy or they get complacent. You know, they feel like, oh, well, I've done this before. I haven't got caught. I don't need to go to all these extreme lengths to not get caught, you know, uh-huh. throw the body in the river or carry it all the way to the river. Um, I just put it right here, you know, um, because I can, because I've gotten away with it before. They're yeah, not going to well, catch me now. I think it's more likely that he knew the cops were patrolling heavier and they beefed up security and, and he had to find a different option. And one thing that we alluded to earlier, which which you will see if, if you study these uh, serial killers, especially the ones that are involved in uh, taking of prostitutes and, and getting high numbers of kills. Mm-hmm. They're very involved in watching the news, listening to the news, reading all the newspaper articles about their case because they're, they're playing a game. You know, they're, they're trying to, to not get caught to do it's what the they want to do. Yeah. It's the extra bonus on top of what they're doing. Yeah. Their plan is to kill these people for, for whatever reason, whatever their motive is on top of that. All now this has become big news. I also think a lot of these people, I think if you look through history of a lot of these serial killers, a lot of them are loners. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they're getting attention, even though it's uh, for a negative reason, they kind of get off on the attention. You're exactly right. The attention, they get off on that, but they also get off on thinking they're smarter than the people investigating them. They also get off on the fact of, well, I know something that nobody else knows. Look at all these people that are interested in this thing. Look at all these people that are trying to figure out who I am and what I'm doing. Well, and that some of that is the society's fault because we've done this thing where a serial killer um, you know, has a high kill count. And then we start saying words as genius or mastermind. Mm-hmm. It's really like, well, it's, it's, it's definitely a lack of intelligence that you're going to kill somebody mm-hmm. like just that, uh, idea in general, I think would be a lack of intelligence. And then you look at situations like silence of the lambs or something where then we even, you know, now we got this guy that's extreme genius and all, by the way, he was a killer. Right, and actually that movie, even though it's one of my favorite movies, the bad thing about that is when you talk to a lay person that doesn't really know much about true crime or know much about serial killers, they seem to think that it requires a high level of intelligence to be somebody like that and to get away with it for so long. When Actually, when you study it for a very long time, you will figure out that most of the killers are of average intelligence. Some of them are above average. Some of them are below uh, it does it doesn't really hold true. You don't have to be of superior intelligence yeah, to get lot. away with this stuff. Sometimes it's just luck, um, and sometimes it's just you know people. People, most of the people are good, right? So when when somebody's just do- not the serial killers, yeah. right? But when somebody's doing some horrible stuff, 
Mm-hmm. We just, we don't assume the bad. Usually we assume the good. So we do become a little bit blind to some of the things that are going on around us because of that, because, yeah. you know, there's only a, a small population, thank God that are, that are bad, evil people. So speaking of bad, evil people, let's talk about some of the suspects in this case, right? So earlier on, we had saw a couple of the boyfriends or pimps were suspected of those murders. Of course, um, do you think they were called pimps in 1964? Well, or was not that a, something that came later in the 70s? Uh, not only that, I actually think that because it was uh, England, that they were probably called something different. Uh, I think they were called pounces or pounds. I read the word and it didn't really, it didn't really it didn't register. It didn't register. Well, any of our London listeners, to, uh, just uh, send us a message. Tell us what the technical term is over in London. Uh, they might use pimp now, but well, just... I think pimp is pretty universal now. Right. Uh, but anyway, so we had seen a couple of the boyfriends and some of the pimps, uh, that were, <laughs> that were, uh, potential suspects and they were, for whatever reason, once they were only considered when their case was an individual murder case. Right. And once the police figured out and started connecting these things, and now we have a string of unsolved murders, a lot of these boyfriends or pimps were no longer considered. Right. Because there, it would make no sense and there would be no zero connection with the pimp to these other prostitutes. Yeah. Other than the fact that they are pimps and so they are in the industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, But other than that, there were, however, a few more interesting suspects. Uh, so in the case of Irene Lockwood, police had found a business card for a man that was simply named Kenny on the business card accompanied by a phone number. And we'll give uh-huh. out that phone number right now. No, we, we don't have that phone number. It's four, 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 yeah, four, 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 four. Well, of course the phone number makes sense. Uh, it makes it very easy to find this Kenny character, whether that's his real name or if it's a nickname, but when they do track down the man, it leads them to a former soldier and his name is guess what? Kenneth Archibald. Hmm. Okay. So we are cooking with gas, right? He at first denies having ever known uh, the victim, Irene Lockwood. And he says that uh, the only way that she would have got his card, his name, his number, uh, they found this in Irene's apartment, right? Yeah. He says that she would have had to have got this from a third party, that she received it from somebody else. Which is very possible because you have somebody that... what You know, some services that maybe he can offer and somebody says, oh, you call my buddy. Uh, Ken, Ken, and then here's his number. And But then here's the thing. Later, he's brought in again. He's brought in again at a later date for questioning. And this time, they get an entirely different response. All right, He kind of freaks out on him, and he shouts out, I killed her. I've got to tell somebody about it. What? Yeah. I've killed her, and I've got to tell somebody All about right, it. All right, lock him up. Lock him up. I mean, even if he didn't kill her, if he felt the need to scream this, then, <laughs> then just lock him up. Well, he says that the two of them had argued about money and that he had must have lost his temper and strangled her. He said that uh, he, he must have. See, it seems like he's assuming he blacked out. Yeah, I think uh, Kenny's got quite the drinking problem. Um, and mm-hmm. so it sounds like he's a little unsure of what he's done. Uh, but he did say that he took off Irene's clothes and he put her in the river. And he said that he took the clothes home and he burned them. Uh, this sounds promising, right? Right. We got, yeah, we got but, a guy here. Yeah. Where's the validity? There's probably, 
some questioning as far as the validity to his story. So what happens is he does go on trial. And when he goes on trial, he retracts his confession. Oh, surprise, surprise. And this, of course, screws everything up because they have no evidence on him other than the confession. Now, Kenneth Archibald is a 57-year-old former soldier. And once they lose the confession, well, they lose the case. And they also did state that, and, and they didn't state exactly what it was, but they did state that they found some inconsistencies in his confession anyway. Yeah, and I think part of this could be, one, the drinking problem, and then possible uh, PTSD as far as being a soldier is concerned. Um, we, you know, a lot of people are asking us what, what, the, what the deal is with false confessions, and I don't think there is a real answer. I think some people get pressured and they just don't know what to say. Um, I, I don't have a rhyme or reason uh, that seems to come up over and over. It seems like there's varying different reasons, but more or less it's the pressure that they're being put under. I, you know, I spoke to a detective about that one time and he told me that he, you know, he didn't have the ability to do it himself, but he said that he knew of a detective that, that, that he swore that if you spent a certain amount of time in a room with this detective in, in an interrogation and, uh, and you got nervous enough, he could probably convince you that you had done something that you didn't do. Right. Uh, and I don't know the psychology behind that, but, uh, that, you know, that's, that's what he that's said. A nice little power to have. <laughs> yeah. It's like Jedi mind trick, right? right. Uh, now I, again, I couldn't find out exactly why the police ruled him out, but again, there were inconsistencies in the confession. They lose the confession. They lose the case. And it does sound like from the things that I've read that police were starting to doubt Kenny's confession before he even retracted it. Well, good, good on them for doubting it. Cause we've seen in case after case where you get a false confession and the cops never let go of that. Mm-hmm. And then they constantly go back to those. We got this confession. Well, the confession doesn't make any sense at one. And then two, when they confess again, there's no logic between confession number one and number two, and they just never let it go. And that really hinders finding the truth. Yeah. Well, the thing here too is, you know, it could be something as simple as he got some dates wrong, right? Maybe he says, well, I killed her on this night or I killed her on this morning and she's actually been seen walking around on that time or after that time. Right. Um, And the other thing we got to keep in mind too is he's admitting to one of the deaths, right? Yeah. And we have eight total. And the police are pretty certain that they are dealing with a serial offender. So, and the other thing too with Kenneth's confession that, that kind of throws a wrench in the whole thing is there was another girl that was found dead. This girl was found dead, you know, right around the time he's confessing to it. Uh, this was Helen Bartholomew. Uh, we had talked about her earlier. Uh, she was one that they had discovered with paint on her. So, uh, he may not have had the opportunity to be part of her murder. They figure out that he couldn't have been part of that murder and she's got the paint on her. So we know that this, this is connected to all the other ones. And the person that he suspected of killing has that same paint on her as well. Right. The one that Mm -hmm. he confessed to. And these, yeah, but like you said, it's, there's a possibility that the paint is just getting onto these girls for some other reason. It could be, but he would have to have taken his victim to the same location or brought the same paint to the victim as Mm -hmm. this other killer is bringing to all the other victims. So that the, Mm -hmm. the, you know, the math there is blowing my mind right now. Um, so these are other reasons why he was probably ruled out. 
Now, we'll talk about some other police tactics, and there was another confession, right? How many confessions we got in this case? Well, there's like 50. There's 50. No, uh, well, there's probably a lot of people, too, that after the fact, years and years later, just kind of like with uh, the Black Dahlia and Zodiac and stuff like that, where people come out and say, my father, it was my father that mm-hmm. did it. Because this was a pretty popular case. Yeah, well, uh, John D. Rose, uh, and I probably got his name wrong, but uh, he was the head of Scotland Yard's murder squad back then. And he was in charge during this investigation. And after his retirement, he would go on to write a book called Murder Was My Business. He had some, he, he had a cool nickname, all right? So they called him Four Day Johnny. Because when he was involved with cases, they were solved very quickly. Mm-hmm. In his book, this case is featured quite extensively, which of course makes sense as it's one of the largest investigations. I mean, probably even one of the largest investigations of the 1960s. Mm-hmm. So John, four-day Johnny as we'll call him, he decides he's going to turn up the heat, right? This is during the investigation. He knows his man is still out there and he's going to try to shake the bushes and see what comes crawling out. So John states that Scotland Yard, this is to the public, they had a very large list of suspects. And after uncovering the latest evidence and further fact-checking, uh-huh. that they were able to whittle down the list to three suspects. And soon, that would shrink to just one suspect. Well, yeah, but they did this thing in this case where they would say, oh, we have n- now narrowed it down to 40, we n- narrowed it down to 20, and then... And they kept getting smaller, and and you know then the the big one was we got it down to three. But a lot of people think that this was all just horse shit, anyways. Well, I mean, come on, we, you and I, Captain, we've seen this tactic. This was used in our lifetime. It was used by the Boulder, Colorado police in the investigation of the death of John Benet Ramsey, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, it's probably been used in many investigations where you just say, "Yeah, we got this big list. Now it's down to three and. Yep, we're pretty on soon, to you. Pretty soon, it's yeah. going to just be you, buddy. Yeah, and if you turn up that heat, you're hoping that they make a mistake or they just get so scared that they turn themselves in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, John was thinking that maybe somebody would come forward and confess or that the perpetrator would panic and do something crazy or something to get himself caught. But regardless, the murders did stop. John Rose. Now, he is the captain of the murder squad that we've been talking about. So now I'm the captain. Let's talk about five years after the last murder. DeRose is on a BBC television show. He's doing an interview. And in this interview, he claims that he knew the identity of Jack the Stripper. Now, furthermore, he says that detectives had been preparing to make an arrest in March of 1965 when news reached them that the suspect that they were looking for had committed suicide. He had gassed himself in a locked-up garage in southwest London. Now, he explained that the press and the television publicity that had been orchestrated by the police, it was intended to frighten the suspect and to make him run. And he'd go on to say, eventually, it did have the effect that they desired because the killer became so frightened that he took his own life. In his 1971 memoir, Murder Was My Business, Four-day Johnny, he he repeated his claim, saying that the man had left a suicide note explaining that he was unable to take the strain any longer. At the end of the suicide note, Captain, he says, uh, if the police are looking for me or I'll do the police a favor, 
I'll be in the garage. He says something to that extent, and that's where they find him. Well, first of all, he's not invited into this garage. He, they find himself, he's gassed himself in the garage. Um, another author, Brian McDonald, he fleshed out the suspect further in his 1974 book called Found Naked A, a different Dead. suspect. No, this is the same suspect. We're talking about the same guy. Okay. It's just he goes into a little more detail in his mm. book. And his book's called Found Naked and Dead. He nicknamed the murderer as Big John, and he described him as a respectable man in his 40s with a wife and several children uh, that had suffered a grim childhood in Scotland, Mm -hmm. characterized by an extreme puritanism and frequent beatings uh, at the hands of his parents. While this Big John was serving in World War II, he developed a habit of using prostitutes and would often turn to violence when he drank and vet his feelings of self-loathing, beating up the prostitutes. Right, this happens a lot of time uh, with Catholics as well. And after he got out of the war, he later joined the police force, and eventually he was turned Wait, hold down. Hold on, let me just say the self-loathing part of being a Catholic. Okay, so. Thank you. You're not a ca- the killing part. You're a Catholic. You can speak. Um, you yeah, can speak I mean, for I can yourself. Speak for my own experiences. So after he gets out of the war, this 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 stand-up citizen Big citizen John. who's beating up prostitutes decides that he's going to join the police force. Uh, eventually, he is turned down for a promotion. He's seeking the rank of detective. He's turned down, and at this point, he starts drinking again, and he turns to the bottle, and eventually, he quits working for the police. Mm -hmm. Eventually, John, he finds work as a security guard, and he worked at the Heron Trading Estate where the bodies were believed to have been stored for some time. Now, remember, we talked about this this paint spraying company. It was a part of this Heron Estate, and he worked as a security guard there. Mm -hmm. So I think this is... So he's a failed cop, works as a security guard. Yeah, but but both uh, Four Day Johnny and uh, the author McConnell, they did refuse to reveal Big John's true identity for the sake that they claimed that the killer's living relatives who remain oblivious to his crimes of the, you know, he's a suspected killer and, and they, they left, they didn't want the, the family to, to well, yeah, well, and logically, become victims. Right, and logically this makes sense. I mean, there's all this heat gets turned up on this guy. He's had um, some failures in his life. He has a lot of self-loathing. And as they think they're getting closer to you know, capturing this guy and identifying him, possibly not so much to save himself, but possibly to save his family, his kids, and everything like that, well, I'll just kill myself. If yeah. I kill myself, chances are, well, one, I won't be killing anymore. So that could be part of the relig- religious uh, background in him where he is uh, remorseful um, because of the drinking. Maybe he feels like because of the drinking and because of uh, my childhood and everything, I can't stop this. I've become some kind of monster. And so to rid the world of me being a problem and then to take away the burden on my family, I'll commit suicide. Mm -hmm. So I think logically it it all lines up. It does all line up. And I think those are all factors as well. Uh, Plus the thing is it looked to this guy, if this is the right guy, it looks to me like they were zeroing in on him pretty well and that he was going to be caught. And again, if if he has connections with police officers, he could still have uh, personal relationships with them, possibly drinking buddies that are police officers. So he's hearing more first and f- firsthand information 
Um, this seems like the clear path. I mean, like you said, is they go by the name Big John or whatever. So no real name there. My thought initially when reading all this stuff and looking into this case was there's a lot of connections as far as the the sex scene, and I'm going to call it the sex scene or the sex industry because it's not just prostitutions but possibly uh, sex movies mm-hmm. and things of that nature, but there's a connection between that and people of power in London. And so there was a lot of uh, rich men and powerful men using the services of the prostitutes then leading for the the um, opportunity that they could blackmail the people of power. And so I, I always assumed, not always, but the last week of looking into this case was that I would be looking at somebody that was actually not connected to the prostitutes at all. Somebody similar to this Big John guy where he's possibly not using the prostitutes, but that he is hired by the higher ups to hey take care of these problems mm-hmm. these girls are these girls are trying to blackmail us or maybe something got out of hand or they didn't pay them again we're going to go to the to the press and and so they're hiring somebody that's taking care of all these problems yeah and and possibly with the higher ups and uh, the, the rich and powerful having connections with the police maybe that's why they never s- solved it because it did just stop because they stopped hiring them, but also maybe the rich and powerful took proper measures to stop doing this foolish, the foolish behavior of like going above and beyond what, you know, just uh, the sex act, you know, mm-hmm. I'll pay you for sex and, and you be on your way. And so to me, the, there's something still there. Uh, I'd have to read these guys books to dive into that, their theory more. Uh, it just sounds very logical where they're coming from. And again, it's not just one author looking into this. This is a, another author diving into it more. And one of those authors being the captain of the murder squad at the time. And now, like you mentioned, there was a pretty big sex scandal going on in London mm-hmm. at the time. And it did have some ties to this case. But when I looked at when I looked at this, and this is the only reason why we didn't discuss it more than what we will now, was I didn't see ties to every every victim. Well, I mean, you know, and the tie would be the sex industry. Right. Right. I, I get that. But I, I only saw one instance where mm-hmm. somebody was reporting things or was willing to testify against somebody in court. Um, you know, these other people could have had, these other victims could have had some ties to, to the same sex scandal. I think what I'm seeing here though, is I'm going <laughs> to go with the, with the lead investigators, opinion of of that at the time four day johnny and exactly and and what we were pointing out here was all the extra steps and precautions and all the extra effort that the police put into the search while it at the end it didn't it didn't bring the killer forward it didn't bring the killer to justice however the the guy in charge firmly believes that their tactics eventually leaded to led to their guy yeah, yeah, and and the the justice here was him taking his own life. So, if you'd like to dive into this case more, you're going to hear about this uh, big time scandal in London called the Profumo Affair. And if uh, you can just Google it, go down a couple different rabbit holes. It's also on the Wikipedia page if you mm-hmm. look for the London nude murders, or if you look up Jack the Stripper. 
dive into the Pufumo affair if you like. We could have spent a whole hour or two talking just about that and not got to any of these victims or other suspects uh, for this case. And I think... Yeah, but there's definitely, when you're going down the rabbit hole, there's definitely stuff that you run into dead ends. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, and and I think that they're trying to make it bigger than what it even was at the time. And I think that, you know, hearing our opinion... I think that this guy has, uh, there's more ties to him to this case than what you will find in the, the affair case. Recommended reading for this week, Captain. You want to read a good book? Why don't you check out The mm-hmm. Ultimate Jack the Ripper Companion? You know, we couldn't do this case without picking a Jack the Ripper book. There are a bazillion Jack the Ripper books out there. You could check out any of them. You could you Google it and your your mind will be blown. There will be hundreds of them. But in my opinion, this one is one of the best, if not the best. I'm not going to claim to have read all of them. Uh, but the ultimate Jack the Ripper companion, it's an illustrated encyclopedia. It's got a lot of good drawings and pictures in it. Plus, it's a big, thick book. It's written by Stuart P. Evans and Keith Skinner. Anybody that has read Jack the Ripper books knows that I think that Keith Skinner, if there's 100 Jack the Ripper books, Keith Skinner wrote or or worked on half of them. Mm-hmm. So you're getting your information from one of the best ripperologists out there, out there. And you can pick that up by going to our website. That is truecrimegarage.com and click on the recommended reading page. You'll see this book amongst a whole bunch of others. Mm-hmm. And you just click on the Amazon banner and buy your book that way. And what's great about this Amazon banner is you can actually buy anything. I actually just purchased electric violin for my friend, Jess. It's her birthday. Happy uh, 21st, we'll say 21st, uh, birthday. Uh, but it's simple. You just click on it and then it just takes you to basically a blank page and then you start your search and you have to sign in, but it gives a little kickback to the garage and keeps the lights on. And it costs you nothing extra. And for everything, true crime garage, make sure you go to the website, truecrimegarage.com. Sign up on the mailing list. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, all that good stuff at True Crime Garage. And don't forget to pick up your brand new True Crime Garage t-shirts that just came out this week. Check them out it's, at the website. Yeah, and it's a limited number. They will sell out soon, people. So get to the website and do that. And much love to you. Thanks for the support. And make sure you tell a friend. That's right. Be good, be kind, and don't litter. you are bpm's high sweat dripping body moving tongue panting you're working hard real hard and you're thirsty you need vitamins nutrients for peak performance and energy and your plants do too oh i mean just look at the little guy water soluble plant food from miracle grow is full of essential nutrients just a little scoop into your watering can and boom instant feeding and bigger more beautiful plants it's kind of like a sports drink for your plants you may have to suffer from heat but your plants do not 